Hello, everybody. Uh, today is September 20, 2022, and I'm here for a special edition of the Coronavirus Conversation we do weekly um, on Facebook, YouTube, uh, Twitter, you name it. And I'm honored and privileged to have as a guest with me, Dr. Meryl Nass. Uh, she's uh, an internist of longstanding, uh, and she's, uh, I believe, been in the profession 40 years, uh, up in Maine, uh, state of Maine, for 25 years. And um, I met her peripherally as, as a member of the audience at a, a Panda group. It's pandata.org, which is a wonderful organization. You should go check it out, donate, so forth, P-A-N-D-A-T-A dot O-R-G, uh, helping keep the world free from um, somewhat irrelevant and uh, meretricious lockdowns and whatnot. Anyway, um, she presented a lecture on the virus that we all come to know and love and hate and so forth. Um, and while she was doing that, I, I looked up her name and saw that she had been suspended uh, from by the state of Maine. Um, and she, we're going to discuss some of those uh, aspects. And uh, they wanted to get a, a neuropsych evaluation. Um, I, you know, my own personal vibe is that uh, she's a warm, caring, loving, um, intelligent, uh, sensitive, and knowledgeable physician. Uh, I would go see her as a patient um, if she were up and around and in my area and so forth. And uh, maybe you could do your own neuropsych evaluation uh, of Dr. Nass and or the Board of Registration and Medicine in Maine as a result. Um, and, you know, so we're, I, I, I think we're going to maybe discuss some of the issues of, of what constitutes free speech and uh, where uh, Dr. Nass uh, went wrong, as it were, or went wrong in the eyes of the board in Maine. Um, so please uh, correct me for my inconsistencies or errors in your um, bio or whatever, but I'm um, welcome uh, aboard Dr. Nass. Hi, thanks for inviting me, Randall. So uh, just to start, um, what what, uh, what 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 uh, kind of tickled the board of registration in Maine and medicine the wrong way? Well, um, I think there were there were several things happening at the same time. So the board issued a warning to doctors um, in the early fall of last year uh, that they would be um, potentially investigated and punished for spreading misinformation about COVID. And um, it turned out that the chairperson of the board, who's an ophthalmologist in Maine, uh, is on the board of directors of the Federation of State Medical Boards, which had issued this warning to doctors. And the Federation is actually a nonprofit. It has no regulatory authority. But for some reason, the reason isn't clear, presumably some money changed hands, they decided to get on this bandwagon of going after doctors who said mean things about the vaccines or good things about ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine or um, challenged the you know, predominant government narrative on how to deal with COVID. And so, I'm sorry. No, so anyway, they, they sent out this memo and I immediately wrote to them and I said, I'd like... Uh, you're, you're going to go after doctors for misinformation. I'd like the definition of de misinformation. That, that was my question I was about to ask. And, and then I said, and I'd like to know your statutory authority to go after it. You know, we do have a First Amendment. Um, and then I sent that I had actually given a talk to the, um, the Education Committee of the Legislature of New Hampshire uh, in November. And so a few days later, I sent that to them. And I said, can you please tell me 
which of these things I stated um, is misinformation, if any. Mm-hmm. And I also sent them a very long, wonderful 48-page opinion by the Attorney General of Nebraska, which I had had helped advise the Attorney General's office in Mm -hmm. Nebraska, Mm -hmm. um, which explains why all medical professionals, including pharmacists, are free to dispense and prescribe ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, and how none of the three federal agencies, the NIH, FDA, and CDC, as well as the WHO, had put forward any arguments that made any sense Mm -hmm. against drugs. So it tore up the alleged arguments that were being mm-hmm. used. It, it did a literature review and said, you know, obviously we're giving our medical professionals safe harbor to use these drugs. Mm-hmm. And that came out on October 15th of last year. So I'd provided all that to the board and they thought I was snarky, of course. And they probably were aware um, that I, you know, had, I did interviews and podcasts and I have a blog and I have a Substack, mm-hmm. and um, anyway, and I work uh, for Children's Health Defense. Uh, so what was interesting was in October, November, they got two complaints about me from complete strangers. Mm-hmm. People that said, I've never met Dr. Ness. I don't know any of her patients. I saw something on the internet and I didn't like it. And you should investigate her. And neither one of them actually said what it was that was misinformation or wrong or any of that. And the board then attempted, they knew, you know, one of the lawyers, one of the assistant attorney generals who works for the board knew that you can't go after a doctor for, we don't like what she said. Well, not only that, they have no standing as it were. Usually cases have to have standing. Something happened to me. Exactly. Well, this board didn't care about that. So they begged these uh, strangers to give us a specific, you know, what did she say that was wrong or incorrect? And um, they neither one did, but one of them, uh, who was probably, you know, paid off by some agent, federal agency, um, transcribed one of my interviews and handed that to the board. And the other one found some Twitter uh, tweets. One of your public interviews, not a not a public medical interview. Found not, it on the not, not a doctor patient interview. No, and and spent you know probably most of the weekend transcribing it, or or someone was yeah, paid to transcribe did. it. Mm-hmm. And so he provided a transcript to the board, and the other person uh, pres- gave some tweets to the board. And so then they told, then they issued me a letter saying we're investigating you, and please defend yourself. And I said, what's the complaint? <laughs> I don't think you have a complaint. You're, you're asking me to defend against everything I've ever said. And so they never would specify what a complaint, they, but they knew they needed to get a complaint. So then suddenly, now remember, in 41 years of medical practice, I've never had a single patient complaint. To, I had one, the son of one patient once complained to the board. And after they'd investigate the, investigated that, which was about 15 years ago, he apologized to me that he hadn't understood that I was actually treating his mother very correctly. That's the only complaint I've ever gotten. No malpractice cases, nothing. And um, so suddenly a doctor and a midwife complain, oh, Dr. Nass treated a patient with ivermectin. Dr. Nass treated a patient with hydroxychloroquine. Well, and th- those are absurdities. I uh, Just for our audience, I'll spend a minute. Uh, this is you know, one of my pet peeves. Um, there are many, many medications that doctors have long been free to use 
you know, off-label. Um, Viagra, which, as a side note, I think had it been invented, you know, 50 years earlier, might have prevented World War II and many other wars, um, uh, you know, because of uh, getting rid of some male frustrations and so forth. But but Viagra was an anti-anginal pill, a heart pill, basically, to uh, keep, you know, kind of hearts quiet and un unheart attackable um, and was only secondarily found to um, you know, help with erections. Uh, Propecia uh, helps grow men's hair and minoxidil, which Rogaine, which uh, helps grow men and women's hair, uh, were, were um, you know, offshoots of uh, prostate and blood pressure medications, respectively. Uh, aspirin used for stroke uh, as a secondary usage. So there have always been cases um, where doctors have forged ahead when um, there are other uses for medication to go ahead and try them. And in the year 2020, absent uh, a, a, a vaccine where we're just sitting hunkered down, you know, many places on earth locked down, uh, there was very little rationale not to try a medication that was already deemed safe and effective for other uses. HCQ and ivermectin uh, were both FDA approved and they're generic and they're uh, had had their uses. And I'm not, I've never come down firmly on whether they are efficacious for uh, COVID-19 and I'm not here to really adjudicate that. But uh, those medications were out and about, and there's no reason really not to have been able to try them along the way. And and doctors always have had off-label uses. You know, the, frankly, the, the largest probably prescribed medicine in the country, uh, uh, not for chronic use, is penicillin or or analogs, amoxicillin, stuff like that, when people come in for the cold. You know, people doctors always know the common cold is not treated uh, medically, but people want something. They want an antibiotic. So doctors oftentimes, you know, will bow to their desires and write amoxicillin or, uh, you know, cephalosporin or whatever, an antibiotic. And those are always, you know, not effective. But nobody's come down with these draconian rules or statutes about you cannot write an antibiotic for a virus. Um, and effectively, ivermectin is an antibiotic of, of sorts. Um, anyway, I apologize for that little digression. But um, I, do you have any thoughts about that? And what, what, were, your, what were your comments to them at the time? Um, well, the, at that point, once they got these two complaints about me using the drugs, they said, okay, now we, now we can go after her. And so they decided for, even though there was no statutory authority to do this, they decided to immediately suspend me and told my attorney this ahead of time before they'd had a meeting about me. And, um, so the meeting was scheduled for January 11th and the attorney told me four days earlier um, on the Friday afternoon, well, I think they're going to suspend your license at the meeting. So I put it up on my blog and apparently, you know, I either I wasn't supposed to be told or I wasn't supposed to put it on my blog, but I didn't know that. And so she resigned from my case the night before oh, that. The attorney did? You're, yeah, the attorney your, did. Your attorney? Yeah, my first attorney. I've had several. And um, so... Uh, of course, they charge anyway, but she resigned from the case, and which was a good thing because I don't think she was going to do a good job of defending me. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a self-pronouncement. It's like, you know, kind of picking this, you know, self-segregation. She's decide, deciding for you that she's not necessarily in your favor or competent. Right. She's not on my side. And then I had a couple of other attorneys who resigned uh, from my case. And now I have a, a really good attorney. Okay, can I just uh, inter interject? You know, I've had, uh, unfortunately, I've had some experience with um, 
going against the Board of Registration of Medicine in Massachusetts. And there, I'll just say broadly speaking, there are two types of attorneys uh, working for the physicians. Uh, those who want to keep patients coming in and don't want to stick their heads out too far in any kind of um, case such as yours, it might be a First Amendment case, and those who are a little bit, say, braver. And oftentimes you have to go outside of the standard um, uh, association of board-related, you know, medical board um, uh, defended attorneys. Um, and I'm, I don't know if you found that is to be the case or not. I did. I think um, I think there's a problem because if you use an attorney who just does board cases all the time and that person's in your state, they have to stay on the good side of the boards. Exactly. Right? That's that's to my point, precisely. And um, so they often are don't really fight for the client, um, although they are they know the minutia of, of board procedures, which are a little different than other right. legal procedures. Yeah. So I, I've I've been on both sides of this in a sense. I I, I started I had a a case. I don't want to spend time on me, uh, but I was I had kind of an aggrandized uh, case by a narcotic addict uh, complaint that snowballed in something, and I was suspended in 2014. At the time, I had kind of my regular GP attorney, um, a wonderful man, uh, do the case, but there were a lot of ins and outs of the board that he didn't know. Uh, on the other hand, he was brave, and he said what he thought and, and fought and fought and fought. Uh, later on, we wound up getting advice from kind of the in-house, um, you know, knowledgeable uh, board-related attorneys, but a lot of them won't do the cases um, that need to be done. And so it's kind of a, you have to pick your poison, as it were, and it's a sadness because uh, the the bureaucracy is arcane and it has its own um, you know kind of Kafka esque or Byzantine rules. And there are, are attorneys who clearly know this stuff, and attorneys who don't. So my fine, fine, excellent attorney, who knew all kinds of general law, he was flummoxed, stymied. Um, <laughs> I don't know, uh, wound up in cer certain blind alleys and corners because he didn't know these, the, the rules, the bureaucratic rules, such as they were. Um, any rate, that, sorry for that digression. Yeah. So, I mean, it's an issue, but I don't think it's a, I think what you need to do is you need to get a really tough attorney because this is a, this is a game and you want the other side to be frightened that, you know, that to know that you have a highly competent, you know, person who can go into a courtroom and knows how to conduct themselves and are, is not frightened of any of them. Mm -hmm. The idea, and for, in this particular milieu, that may be someone who's close to retirement, mm -hmm. who doesn't, okay. Yeah. Right, um, I, I agree with that. I was just kind of worrying on your behalf whether the state of Maine is a big enough place to have, you know, such as that, you know, the likes of, because, you know, I mean, state bars are, are such that you have to be approved within that state and some of these things might be, in a sense, national issues. I mean, free speech and, and whatnot. A lot of the, the things you're talking okay. about it seem is. to me to be kind of a, a tra you know, kind of a federal issue in a way that uh, you know supersede the states in some level. But I, I'm I'm not a, I'm not a lawyer. So. Anyway, so the the case is moving on. Um, I don't think the other side has a leg to stand on. I don't think they understand the case. I don't think, uh, you know, I think probably somewhere higher up at the federal level or minimally at the level of the governor's office, you know, these people, these board staff who work for the governor um, and the Democratic administration were told to prosecute me right. and to push out the case so that the day after I was immediately suspended, 
I was in the national news. Right. And that's crazy because there, there, was, there wasn't even a case. I mean, they, right. what did they charge me with? Treating people legally. Yeah, I mean, there, no, there, I there, haven't done anything wrong. Yeah, there are no dead bodies. I mean, it, it, let's, let's say, you know, in the let, let's just go back to the kind of the virgin year of 2020. There's no vaccine out. And if you were to treat somebody with HCQ or ivermectin, they may or may not get better. We used to have a joke. You probably heard this, you know, with the flu. Uh, if you treat the flu, it takes seven days. If you leave it alone, it takes a week. I mean, there right. are some anti-influenza medicines now, so the joke's you know, a little bit outdated, perhaps. But, you know, uh, we're downside, you know, again, I think the, the data are not full on HCQR, ivermectin. I think ivermectin has, probably has a, a slightly higher chance of, of actually working, as it were. And there are more studies on it. Um, but what are the downsides? You, you you gave an antibiotic, as it were, of a sort to somebody, um, and it either did or didn't. I mean, if we if we got rid of doctors who did that, I mean, literally, there would be no treating primary care physicians in the United States because I think every single, 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 single one of them has written a penicillin or antibiotic for the cold. So doctors have written the antibiotics for viral illnesses, knowing that they're not going to do anything, which is frankly a step below what you were doing, which is you know, writing for something when there was no other treatment and there was a possibility of doing good. Yeah. So there's actually, quite, you know, quite extensive literature on the benefits of hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin mm -hmm. in uh, not only COVID virus, but for certain other viruses. And both of these rather interesting drugs, uh, if you go to clinicaltrials.gov and look them up, they are being tested for Absolutely. efficacy against mm -hmm. a wide variety, including cancers, yep. you know, pregnancy yep. loss, all sorts of things. Yeah. So um, but I, that's, for, for me, that's not even the point, whether they work or not, don't work. I don't think necessarily invalidates your right to try and or the patients. No, no right. but if there's evidence that they work and they're being withheld deliberately, there's right. malfeasance on the other side. Yes, I agree. I think there's been government, you know, malfeasance. I mean, I, the example I use is uh, HIV. You know, if, if people were still waiting for, you know, a vaccine for HIV now 40 X, you know, whatever it is, uh, years after, um, they'd still be waiting. Uh, you know, treatment is okay for the HIV, um, you know, the, the, the virus itself, and, and nobody's waiting for a vaccine anymore. So treatment works for, for viruses, and in this case, it's life-saving, and there's no reason to think that they're necessarily inimical to each other. A vaccine came along for HIV. Wonderful, but that wouldn't necessarily negate the medications were there or vice versa. So, you know, medicine's never been either or. You know, a lot of times it's, it's figuring out what you have, what's the right situation. You know, this might be right for you. This might not be right for you. Um, did so, so it sounds to me like this is more of a political, uh, I might be reading too much in. Is it a political case or is it a medical case? Well, I think it's a political case. Uh, you know, I... I mean, there wasn't really an allegation that I harmed a patient. That's the thing, which is, you know, the only thing you can immediately suspend a person for is is gross negligence, you know, raping right. a patient. Yeah, um, danger to the public yeah, safety and welfare. Multiple patients, that sort of thing. And yet I was immediately suspended when the patients that I treated, you know, got better. Right. Now, did you have a, a, an active um, patient clientele at the time? Yeah. I mean, I was, I had to shut down my office, you know, one day uh, when I was treating, you know, I don't know, maybe 15 COVID patients a day. Wow. 
So they're they're taking you know they're 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 taking a, a good solid player out of the lineup. Yes, um, the two doctors in Maine were both taken out. Who were the only two of us who were openly using ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine? Both had immediate suspensions. Wow. So, I, I assume you two have been in contact. Yeah. Hmm. Well, um, so what are your general thoughts on this? I mean, I don't want to carry on too much in this vein, but but I, I find it like you know, hugely reprehensible, egregious, and way above beyond the call of duty and or the mandates of the board. Well, do you know anything about the history of the board, whether they've done things like this? And what was the original reason to have a board and res registration in medicine in Maine? Well, the, it has a mission statement. I mean, it, these people are paid by the state and they're supposed to protect the, the patients of Maine from dangerous doctors. And that's a reasonable uh, thing for them to do. I support that. But in in my case anyway, they were not they were actually preventing the patients of Maine from getting the treatments they sought for COVID. Right. And um, the that has to be political. I mean I've written long articles about the suppression of hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and the many methods that were used to do that. For hydroxychloroquine, I have a list of 55 different mechanisms that were used around the world to suppress the use of the drug in many countries using uh, pharmacy company, you know, manufacturers, um, chain drug stores, um, the number two maker of the active pharmaceutical ingredient, hydroxychloroquine exploded in December of 2020 in Taiwan. Um, France took the drug hydroxychloroquine, which had been over the counter, and in October of 2019 began efforts to make it a prescription drug. And it became a prescription drug at the beginning of COVID. And then the entire supply that the government was in a warehouse in France disappeared. So there have been, you know, e enormous efforts throughout the world to stop people obtaining these drugs for COVID. And what, the what, what, what do you think the reason is? Is that um, the powers that be wanted the pandemic to continue. Had everyone received effective early treatment, the pandemic would have been over. We would not have had to lock down. We would not have had to close schools. Um, so many people would not have died and um, it would have ended. What's but the ration? So what's, what's, what do you, what do you think, giving, their best intentions. What do you think is their rationale? Rules. I'm sorry, I'm speaking over you. I apologize. So the powers that be want the emergency to continue because that gives certain public officials, governors and health department officers, the, the head of the Department of Health and Human Services, a lot of authority to make decisions. So as you know, the CDC said people could not, people who weren't paying their rent couldn't be thrown out of their homes based on the, what they claimed were their emergency authorizations. Um, the EUAs require an emergency to be declared by right. the Secretary of Health and Human Services. There could be no EUAs. Well, every COVID vaccine in the United States is being issued, is being administered under an EUA. Exactly. You know, so my own, my own pet theory uh, is all, all of the above. Uh, and in addition, I think there's ultimately we'll, we're going to see if, we, if they're not already there, uh, a kickback cycle and circle from pharmaceutical 
companies that hugely benefit and continue to benefit um, from production of vaccine to officials entrenched who allow that to continue. The EUA uh, is really the rationale for you know still trotting out a, a, a SARS-CoV-2 vaccine when SARS-CoV-2 is long, long gone and never to return to Earth unless you know re-released from some laboratory a uh, decade hence or whatever. But um, you know, the, the, there's you know mixing in Omicron at this point is just kind of window dressing. Um, but it's it's kind of a, a, a cycle where the pharmaceuticals get to kind of clear inventory as long as it's under the EUA. The EUA is a you know is a, a necessary um, um, and completely um, is the, the backbone uh, of continued production of an antiquated vaccine and selling it and enforcing it uh, through various governmental organizations, military, and so forth, as having you know a need as long as it's an emergency. Um, you know, I think a little bit of it's like the Wizard of Oz. You know, once you realize there's no emergency, there is no emergency. The you know the cowardly lion did have courage. Uh, we don't have an emergency, and needs somebody you know to you know the wizard needs to come out from behind the green curtain and announce that so everyone can kind of have the realization that we are in the age of Omicron, the common cold, uh, not Omicron, the uh, you know continued uh, variant um, um, uh, kind of parade. Right. And the reason why the EUA is so important is because it gives um, practically a total liability shield to not only the manufacturers, but to the government officials who order the programs and as well as to the doctors and everybody else involved. So no one has any liability. So like, so it allows the government a free hand to do whatever it wants. And as long as you, you know, you went into a hospital and got an EUA product, you, can, you can't sue the hospital. It's just a big, it's a big mess. It's a handover of authority to um, to the medical system, you know, to, to Fauci, to Rochelle. Yeah, it's, a, it's a centralization. You know, the, the other thing that kind of, um, what's the polite word for stinks? Um, <laughs> lens odor. Uh, the thing that, you know, I, I grew up kind of as a classic liberal, um, and I'm not sure they exist per se currently, but um, you know, I spent a lot of time reading, you know, New York Review of Books and um, familiar with the case of Natan Sharansky uh, in the Soviet and others, you know, who uh, said the truth and they were institutionalized literally in psychiatric hospitals. So that this call, uh, you know, the, the, the boards, I think, you know, use this as a cudgel that you are to get a neuro neuropsych eval, you know, to prove you're sane before you can even defend yourself. Um, I think things should be based on the, the merits and the, the actual facts. Um, there's, uh, you know, I, I think this kind of like, oh, you're not sane, you know, it, it is a way of undercutting people. And, it, and it's really, frankly, it's an insult in and of itself that, you know, if somebody looks up your name, uh, let's say to Maine, the first thing, you know, shows up for me anyway, was that, you know, the state of Maine requests neuropsyche val and Dr. Nass. Um, it's, it's not really arguing your points. It's like, oh, we can't even get to arguing her points because we don't know she's not crazy. Um, wherein I think that, they, 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 you know, your general record, uh, I assume you stop at red lights and um, you're kind to strangers, that kind of stuff. And, and, and here you are, I've been practicing for decades and decades. You have an education, you've, you know, hewed to the line enough that you, you know, maintain a household, you pay your taxes and all that kind of stuff. And yet you have to like show you're not crazy before you can defend yourself. I mean, I, I find that so uh, insulting. Yes, exactly. Well, that's, you know, that's why I was in the national news. I mean, Newsweek, the San Francisco Chronicle, the Miami Herald, all ran stories about me, hit pieces. 
because oh, hippies. they weren't on your side. Yeah. The information yeah. the board released implied because they, they had part of the statute in their releases, you know, implied I must be either, I'm either crazy or a substance abuser. Right. Well, you know, I'm high on life, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I understand all this. I, I, again, I don't want to, it's not, it's not the me hour here, but, um, but it, it's a matter of record that I was suspended and then um, I was unsuspended and then resuspended very promptly on a total uh, kind of, I can't use the word fabrication, but uh, kind of a cotton candy puffed up kind of thing, which fell apart very briefly. Um, and I've got my own kind of um, litigation, uh, counter litigation against the, the board. Um, and I don't know how far it's going to go. These things are tough to, to do. Um, the board is a policing authority and we, you know, the state uh, and our you know, laws give a lot of latitude uh, for the board or various boards to do their work as policing. Um, but there is a concept in law called uh, ultra vires or ultra vires, depending whether you have Latin you want to get, which is acting outside of their strength, act acting outside of their authority and whether boards can do this. I mean, it seems to me this is a case of ultra vires where the board is taking on uh, basically a Soviet um, language policing um, uh, function rather than its, its ascribed uh, medical observation of physicians um, uh, per, you know, danger in actual treatment to actual patients. Right, exactly. Um, and it, it's interesting because as you watched how the board works, you know, basically they're a bunch of yes men. They make all their decisions unanimously. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in my case, they were presented a little story about me, which had nothing to do with, with what happened or didn't represent me properly. They made a lot of mistakes. And then they all voted unanimously. Yeah, immediately suspend her, you know, why not? Um, and I think they felt they, you know, they working for the state, they had a liability shield that nothing could happen to them. Right. So it was okay for them to do that. And when you look at the advisory committees of the FDA and the CDC, you see them doing the same thing. They're given yeah. a little bit of information and then they vote to approve a vaccine or authorize or whatever. Sorry, it's my other phone. Um, and they don't know when they don't really have the evidence, but they do it anyway because right. you know they're yes men and yeah, I mean the Nuremberg trials and um, you know the Eichmann case and all this kind of stuff. Uh, you know it's Godwin's law that you know you lose an argument by mentioning Hitler first. Uh, but I'm willing to put this out that you know th this is oftentimes the very same um, you know kind of excuse. It's like oh we're, I'm just following orders. I'm just doing this. You know I I, I find it. Um, reprehensible and cowardly that, that, you know, I assume the board is at least mostly physicians uh, are not able to stand up uh, for patients and for the right to, to, you know, for the art of medicine, for people to, you know, kind of take a different take on, on, on treatment at, without, you know, any substantial risk to the patients. I'm sorry. Uh, well, that's fine. I, I was just saying that it's, um, you know, oftentimes I think it's a bit of cowardice uh, to think that you're just kind of going along and following orders when in fact you're the board of registration medicine with your own medical degrees and so forth and 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 you're you're taking away the the essence of medicine itself which is the the art of medicine the ability to look at a patient treat it you know treat that person according to your best um, um, uh, methodology as long as we're not doing harm and I, I find this is a big divorce of the medical boards to act as if they are policing uh, polit political police, you know, PC police. So what's really going on is that the government is trying to take over medicine. So 
They're, they're trying to destroy what's left of the doctor-patient relationship, the autonomy of patients and doctors to choose their own care. And you can see this right now in California where the um, assembly, both houses, voted in favor of a law to criminalize um, doctors' speech if it goes against the narrative. So yes. if a doctor, whatever they constitute as misinformation, which they've clearly, nobody was willing to define it mm -hmm. because they can't, you know. Um, but in California, if, if a doctor does what I did and spreads misinformation about COVID, they could lose their license. And right. so that the California has voted in favor and it's sitting on Gavin Newsom's desk. And the question is whether he will be brave and bold enough um, to sign it. I think, and, he sees, I, think, I think he sees brave and bold as, as the opposite direction from what you might. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, it could go either way, but what is desired by current, you know, political leaders in the United States is for some federal agency, in the case of COVID, it was the NIH, but it's never been the NIH before, it was always the CDC, hmm. roll out a treatment recommendation and all doctors will have to use that single treatment on their patients. Um, just as right. the CDC is already done for vaccines by removing medical exemptions and trying to remove religious and philosophic exemptions. So everybody is supposed to get the vaccines they want us to have, and everybody is going to get only the treatments they specify, which is, of course, remdesivir, number one, for COVID. And um, if we want that kind of world, which basically ends what we know of as, as medical care in the United States, then, you know, don't stand up against it. But I right. will up against it, you know, while I continue to breathe. That, you know, they're not going to destroy my profession and the ability of patients to get the care they need. That will well, not- that's, 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 that's a genuine profile in courage. I, I applaud your bravery. Is there a place uh, where people can help you? Um, yes. So, well, if you want to donate to my uh, defense, uh, donate to Children's Health Defense, um, which is helping me, and um, say it's for my defense. I have a substack, merylnass.substack.com, and I have a blog, anthraxvaccine.blogspot.com, because I'm an expert on anthrax and anthrax vaccines. And, um, uh, you know, I'm out there. You can read my articles in The Defender and uh, Epoch Times and Mercola.com. Each ran an important article I wrote over the week. They both ran it over the weekend about the bi new bivalent booster vaccines, which have nothing at all to recommend them. Well, I agree with that. I, I have an article. I, I'm not going to announce where it's coming out, but it's coming out soon, I believe. Um, it's uh, the, the working title is Corona 22. And it's my fervent wish, desire to rename COVID-19. Uh, I think COVID-19 exists. I was, it was real like there was SARS-CoV-2, um, but it's long gone. And uh, what is around right now is Omicron, which is not genomically, genetically, um, uh, ancestrally related to COVID-19 or the alpha, beta, delta, you know, the Greek letter, uh, you know, wave variants. Uh, it's a, a coronavirus. If you went to a textbook in 2017 um, and you could still find them, they're out on the shelves and looked up coronavirus, it'd say the second leading cause of the common cold and uh, by type. And I think it constitutes only maybe 14 to you know 20%, but 
uh, there are a lot of other causes. So it, it, it's kind of in second in the plurality race. Uh, if we were running for Congress in Alaska, it would make the play the, the runoffs. Anyway, um, you know, so Omicron much more likely is just one of those common colds. And since we're testing for coronavirus all the time now, we find some of the old pre-existing common cold type coronaviruses, such as Omicron. Anyway, cut to the chase. You know, the the, the new bivalent vaccine has two ingredients. It's it's basically going to produce spike protein for the one that you can't get anymore because everyone's immune, it's gone. And it's going to produce, you know, those for, you know, for basically the common cold for which we would never get vaccines. So one is for a, a virus that's harmless and the other one is for uh, a spike protein that's useless. So they've combined useless and harmless uh, together uh, in, in a great new thing that's covered by the EUA. So it doesn't need to go through full uh, vaccine trials. And if there are side effects, again, it's for something that's completely pointless and outdated mixed in with something that's harmless and, and useless. Um, uh, I mean, for a virus. Say it again. Never tested in humans. Exactly. And that, that's under the EUA. So, you know, the, the fact that the, the reason for the name change point of the article is that, you know, if, if we started calling Omicron what it really is, which was Corona 21 uh, initially in December and now Corona 22, we would stop calling it COVID-19. We could call it common cold, whatever, common corona. So give it some other name that's not COVID-19. We would be able to put COVID-19 to rest and and get away from the EUA, which because there's no emergency and that COVID-19 is gone. So that's that's kind of my declaratory, um, you know, kind of speech oriented. You know, I think as we define things tends to, to be how we uh, act upon them. Anyway, that's my uh, two cents on the matter. Um, I, I want to applaud you for your courage. Um, I think it, it can't be easy to have your practice kind of dissolve away. Uh, these things are, are, you know, my own particular case, I had a practice in Revere um, near the airport uh, 27 years, and I owned and ran it, and I was the guy uh, there. And uh, one of my uh, um, kind of sarcastic uh, long-term buddies uh, said I was the best veterinarian on Broadway, uh, but he was joking. Um, but I had a, a nice uh, coterie of patients and, you know, treated the firemen and the policemen and uh, everybody up and down the street and thousands of patients over the years or tens of thousands and so forth. Um, but one day that was just boom, gone, because they had an idea for temporary suspension. The temporary suspension, in my case, went on for five years because I fought and fought and fought. I never acceded to or admitted to things that they said. They wanted me to apologize for things. They tell me they, they said initially I could have kept my license if I admitted to do admitted never to do something, but that was something I'd never done in the first place. And I'm just not, I would rather literally drive a taxi than admit to, you know, false truth as it were, if that's not an oxymoron. Anyway, um, it's been a, you know, for my case, a tough, long battle. So I appreciate, you know, kind of the loss of your practice. It was, I had horrible dreams about it for a long, long time, but I didn't lose sleep over, over maintaining doing what I thought was right. So I hope that strength and power uh, continues in and through you. And I hope others learn from your example uh, that you can live and breathe, um, you know, by, by doing the right thing. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe hopefully treat even more people um, and more people get the message than perhaps in your own small um, practice, as it were. Thank you. Thanks very much. So can, can I ask you just a side question before we leave? Um, it's just what, what, is, what are those patients doing? Do they have hopes of seeing Dr. Nass again in that capacity? Well... A lot of people didn't get treated for COVID because of what they did to me and to this other doctor. So um, that's that can never be made good. 
um, you know, they, I lost mine, my license, um, and it was in a suspension. So I still haven't had a hearing. I get a hearing in three weeks. Hmm. Um, what? That's back, that's back from January. From January. So I'll get a hearing now, but the hearing, they only have um, two days a month they will hold hearings. Right. And so it will probably take three months or more to get through my hearing. And I. That's right. Know, so in my, Massachusetts, they have an immediate hearing and then they give you a seven day emergency uh, appeal. They, there's no, no that, I mean, in our case, it didn't take seven days, more like three weeks, three months, and then, you know, 11 months. So it didn't actually happen, but they have a statute that you're supposed to have some kind of timely uh, justice. I forget which right. that is. They're supposed to give you a hearing uh, in 30 days, but because my first lawyer quit, then I had to find another lawyer. Oh, I see. Okay. Right. And my second lawyer quit. And um, so then I had to find another lawyer. And that lawyer said he would need, you know, months to prepare. Right. So anyway, here we are. All right. Fair enough. Well, uh, do you have any questions or parting thoughts for, for me or for the audience? So this isn't just me. I mean, this has happened to hundreds and hundreds of doctors throughout the United States have been threatened. Very few of them have been immediately suspended. I think my board was was a little bolder. You see, what they do is they pick on people they think um, are not going to give them trouble. And so yeah. I was 70 and they and it's going to it cost, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to fight them. Right. And they figured, you know, she's 70 years old. She'll just retire and that'll be the end of it. And they didn't expect that I would have the help of Children's Health Defense and Bobby Kennedy and um, that I would fight them back. That was right. not part of their, you know, calculation. Right. Yeah. So is this Janet Mills uh, doing, if I, do I have her name right? Yes, you do. So she she is just a Democratic tool and the, the head of the um, Department of Health and Human Services in Maine uh, is a Mainer, but she was sent to Washington. You know, she cut her teeth on all this, you know, bullshit within the federal bureaucracy, and um, now she's back here to impose that on it. She's a funny woman. She she talks. She sounds like a baby when she talks. She seems so um, timid, and yet she she knows she's a good tool. You know, she right. does what she's supposed to. So anyway, um, it sounds like some other people might need neuropsych evaluations. <laughs> probably not. Probably not you. Uh, so my, I'm going to conclude my neuropsych evaluation of you uh, because uh, it's uh, thorough and professional. And to say that that I found this a delight. I um, I appreciate your intellect and your um, uh, endeavor. And I, I again wish you continued courage. And thank you so much. Uh, don't step off yet. I'm just going to end the uh, video. I'm going to say goodbye to everybody out there. All right. Okay. So thank you very much for joining us. Uh, please share this video. I think it's very important if you're out there watching this that you share and promote this video and please help uh, support Dr. Merrill Mass. Uh, have a great day and uh, tune in next week for more.